Praise the Lord. Welcome to our annual marriage conference. And unfortunately this year, a lot of changes because of COVID. And we typically would be starting with a meal and then we would be ending with a fellowship. And then tomorrow we would have a couple of other sessions. And we have done our best to sort of collapse everything into one sort of quick evening. And we do have a handout that is available online. And we do have a few copies for those that are here just with some tips and some sort of practical tips on how to encourage one another, be a better listener, show support, et cetera, et cetera. Just a few pages of that. We also are basically going to have three different sessions and they're going to last about Oh, 40 minutes or 30 to 40 minutes a piece. And then there will be a praise break for a few moments during which if you need to get up, if you need to use the restroom, if you're here locally or whatever, you can have a moment to think about and write notes, respond and etc on what we are in fact sort of teaching on. And we have talked about before we knew whether or not the conference would make that we were going to sort of change the name to the GROW Conference, Growing Relationships in Obedience to the Word, that W being capitalized, the Word of God. So that sense of growing in relationships. And that's why this conference does have ability to cross between the number of years that you've been married to not being married yet to having relationships at work, relationships with other family members, relationships in general in broad sense of the terms because we know that our entire lives are in fact governed by a variety of relationships. Some of those relationships being of course husband and wife, some being of course a sense of family members work relationships, et cetera, et cetera. There will be the notes and you'll be able to download that for all of those that are online. You'll be able to download the PowerPoint, keep that, take some notes. But thank you again for being a part of this. I know it's not what we were hoping for because of all of the restrictions, but we are so thankful that so many have come to be a part and we're excited. We have a couple, Sister Sonia and, and her husband that are celebrating their anniversary, 25 years, I believe it is, that are here, the Maulers, 52 years. And so we have people that have many years to few years to newly married. So let's give all of ourselves a hand. We're actually blessed. We have some couples that actually got married this year, in the middle of a pandemic the middle of all of these things. The first section that we're gonna talk about, and as I said, 30 to 40 minutes, is called the four horsemen, or that sense of avoiding the uh, sense of uh, avoiding the apocalypse. It's a, it's a sense of, I know we have, there are four horsemen, and you know that's taken from Revelation, and that's the sense of those four, what we put, our criticism and then defensiveness and contempt 
and stonewalling. So those are the four horsemen, if you will, that will come against every relationship. And it, unbelievably, it also happens between a husband and wife. And I, and I want you to understand when we talk about, as I said, we're gonna do this and then we'll do some listening and we'll do some other, three, we have three sections tonight, but criticism is not the same as being a critique or a complaint or something that you have that you don't like or something that hurt your feelings or something that bothered you and you know make a statement about that you know the chicken had too much salt it's not necessarily being what i would define as being criticism because in fact there is an ability you have to have an ability to be able to explain to people that in fact something that you didn't care for and yet this criticism will focus in on a narrow section but there's a verse of scripture i want to turn your attention to in proverbs proverbs the 13th chapter and the 12th verse hope deferred makes the heart sick in other words when you're hoping for something and it doesn't happen how do you feel it makes you sick sort of a sense of an expectation but when the desire comes, what happens? It's a tree of life. Now, immediately we can recognize from that, it is obvious that we can have hopes and expectations. And when those aren't being met, it can be overwhelming emotionally. And we can feel, if we're not careful, we can allow a spirit of criticism to get a hold of us and it become very critical of everything. And we, of course, are now in the middle of a pandemic, and this was not what any of us hoped for. This was not what any of us wanted to have happen. And so it's easy to get very overwhelmed. Then, of course, and I, I brought several, but anger and the way people handle anger and some, you know, <clears throat> wait until they're at a blowing up place and some avoid talking about things anyway. And, and so it can build to this boiling point where all of a sudden I get very critical. And I have almost, if you were, a critical spirit. And that sense of being critical, that sense of having criticism is one of those things that unfortunately, it all of a sudden, it takes the focus and the attention off of what happened and it becomes, I am now critical of you. I'm critical of your character, your personality. You make me sick, you make me mad. You never do this, you never do that. And when you start seeing that creep up, in a relationship, immediately you know that there are gonna be problems. For example, and I happened to go by Walmart this evening, and for example, I, I went in and I, you know, wanting to rush here, and, and there was a lady and she had on the Walmart vest and she was talking to another Walmart employee and she was being, she was griping about one of their bosses. I don't know. I didn't know the la I didn't know the other lady. I didn't know the boss, but she was in line wanting to check it, and you could just see it. It was raw, and she was mad, and she was fuming, and she, and I thought, you know how long she's going to be happy with her job? Not very long, because 
It, she wasn't saying what happened, but she said, she's just that way. I, she's always on us. She's it. And I could hear her pointing at things about this lady. And you say, well, it might be true. Uh, it might be, but the truth of the matter is it's going to destroy a relationship. So how do you avoid that? By trying to work with what we called a gentle startup. And a gentle startup means when you start feeling yourself start boiling and the anger coming, whether it's, you know, a, a sense of explosiveness or whether it's, you know, I have found myself, you know, I'm getting frustrated and, and I've been driving down the road and all of a sudden it's one thing after another and I find myself getting into a roll. That's when I have to remember, I got to take a step back. I cannot allow a spirit of criticalness or criticism, if you will, to get a hold of me. And how do I avoid that? By There's some words here that we use, and that is I versus you feelings, and those have to do with, you know, I versus you statements. You know, if I use an attack statement, you've done this, you've done that, you are, you this, it's going to be hard. You, you're all, you're never on time. You're, you're late. You're this, you're that. All of a sudden, it becomes part of my spirit and I find myself getting angry. So you have to avoid those kind of statements. It's better to talk about my feelings, my thoughts, my sense of my emotions, where I am, and then focusing on the situation rather than on your partner. You know, I, I don't know what happened today when I was standing there in Walmart listening and I, I was trying not to listen, but they were just going after it. So and she was so angry. I, I could hear that dialogue and I never did hear what actually happened. Not that they had to tell me, but it was just criticism. I don't know if the boss came over and said, you need to work faster or you need to work harder or not take, I don't know what she never did say while I was there. And yet she was giving that boss the what for. And so you, you stop and think whenever you're focusing on them and not the situation, because what happens is, you know, people make mistakes and people will ask why questions. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? And there's no answer to it. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I said it. I don't know what was going on. And then <clears throat> that sense of focusing on needs and being able to say, you know, behind, and I put an, an acronym there, a hen behind all anger is some hurt. Behind that is some expectation. And behind that is some need. Back to our first scripture, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it, it's easy to see when something's not going right, it all of a sudden impacts us emotionally. I put a phrase in there called customer care. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to either go buy Chick-fil-A or if you've ever had an opportunity to go to Disney World or Disneyland or if you've ever had an opportunity to go to some, even some of the phone centers and they have all these caring words, my pleasure, so great to say, and you know, and you think, ah, we know it's not your pleasure to serve me. You're working a job. But it does make us feel a little better when you say, may I have some more Chick-fil-A sauce? And they go, my pleasure. Thank you for coming. And yet, unfortunately, we can have the poorest customer care with the ones that are closest to us. 
You know, that's my wife. Come on, what's wrong? Hurry up. What are you doing? You make me mad. I can, I can take more <laughs> lack of what, what would you call it? Etiquette, niceness, <laughs> whatever. Just customer care. And so when you think in terms of how do you stop a critical spirit is give thanks. And what does the Bible say? In everything, give thanks. And back to our original verse where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what was that last phrase of that verse? Remember? But when the desire is fulfilled, a tree of life springs up. And what should be the greatest desire of our heart? says, when you focus on him, you know, Lord, he should be my desire to be in a relationship with him, to have a relationship with God. And so there's nothing that we should desire. And I know we can pray amiss and we can ask God to give us a, a new house or a new car or hopefully not a new spouse. But the point of it all is that when, if we really would focus on seek ye first the kingdom of God, put him first then my desires would be to him. And when I'm feeling like, Lord, I'm growing in you, I'm learning, I am whatever, then it should make it feel like a tree of life. Of course, the last word there is that sense of apprehension and appreciation rather, that sense of gratitude. When I am able to say, I thank you, I appreciate what you've done. And I am sure we've all been neglectful in those important relationships. And, you know, we've all seen it. It's probably happened in all of our lives. We're working before long. We start getting, you know, when we first got the job, we were so appreciative and man, what a job. Thank the Lord for this job. I thank the Lord for this spouse. I thank the Lord for what I have. Oh, it's such a blessing. And as time goes by, it shifts, and I'm not appreciative anymore. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, and I'm, if I'm not careful, it can become critical. It doesn't mean that you say, well, they might have actually started taking advantage of you. Yes, but don't let it get in your spirit. That's the key, because if you're not careful, it's your spirit that will get on a roll and become very critical, and it's one of the first of the four horses of the apocalypse. Well, praise the Lord. So I am going to talk about the second horseman of the apocalypse, or the, the apocalypse to avoid. And so the second horseman is defensiveness. And I think it's so easy to get defensive, you know, even if you, if you want to say, well, not in my relationship, it doesn't matter what it is. Defensiveness is one of those things that it is just, it is like a human nature go-to. When someone comes at you with, this is what, you know, I perceive that you were doing or, you know, immediately our, our response is sort of like, what? I did not do that. And so it's an, it's a, it's, it's an apocalyptic horseman because it's the one thing that builds the wall in the relationship because as soon as you approach someone with I feel like you did XYZ or you hurt my feelings and if you immediately are defensive what have you done there is a wall there is a divide in that relationship and so that's why it is apocalyptic to your relationship because defensiveness is one an attempt to protect yourself so you are afraid of what 
basically what you're saying is, I'm afraid you're going to hurt me by, by saying what you're saying. So in that feeling of, I have to protect myself, you are showing that you don't trust the other person. Because if you trusted them, you wouldn't have to protect yourself, right? Because if immediately they're going, you know, you hurt me when you did, I did not. You're building that wall. So it's an attempt to protect yourself. It's an attempt to defend your innocence. That's the second thing that it does. And it's to try to ward off a perceived attack. Many people become defensive when they feel like they're being criticized. And actually, they've done some research, and it has shown that defensiveness rarely de-escalates a situation or heals whatever it is that's going on. So it, it often is not productive. So if you, if you say, well, but I'm just trying to defend my position, or I'm just trying to make sure that you see my side of it, I'm just trying to make sure that you understand where I'm coming from, that rarely is going to actually have any beneficial effect in your relationship. Because defensiveness, if you want to cut to the heart of the matter, is actually a way of blaming someone else for whatever it is that's happened. Now, often the person that you're blaming, unfortunately, becomes your, your spouse, your partner, because what you're saying is, uh, no, 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 you're upset, but the problem is not actually me, it's you. Or the problem is not, in fact, me, it's the kids. Or the problem is not me, it's something else. And so that becomes the issue. It's, it's, it's a way of blaming. And so it, it then escalates the conflict, which is why it's so destructive. There are two primary ways that people become defensive. The first way is that they go on the counterattack. So that's when you are actively, you know, getting em embroiled with your spouse over whatever the issue is. And the second way is to play the innocent victim. You know, I can't believe that you would say that I hurt your feelings here. Or I can't believe. And actually, when I was researching defensiveness, um, I read it says that some people can do both at the same time, which I thought that was amazing. You can both, <laughs> you can both attack and also be the, be, be the victim at the same time. That, that is some skill. But then as I was thinking about it, I thought, I'm pretty sure I, I've probably done both of those at the same time. <laughs> Not on purpose, but it's just human nature. You, you're like, how dare you say that? And that really hurt my feelings. See, both right at the same time. How could you say that when you blah, 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 and you wounded me? By saying that you're hurt, I'm wounded. I'm saying this because I know. And so what is the antidote to defensiveness? Well, you have to take responsibility. That is the antidote. And so when you talk about, well, how, how am I supposed to, you know, deal with maybe my perceived wrongs or my perceived hurts or whatever. That's not, that's not what we're getting into right now. We're just simply dealing with how do you avoid the apocalypse of if somebody confronts you in your relationship with, with a grievance or an issue, that is not the time for you to then start airing your grievances simultaneously. All then you're doing is airing the grievances. You're not dealing with them. Okay, so the way that you start to deal with them without having an apocalyptic situation is for you to take responsibility for whatever it is you're doing. So, for example, your spouse says, you lose track of time, you're always late, how, you know, you mess me up, this is really frustrating. Well, the way that that's said can sound very attacking, 
I'm not saying that the message was maybe perfect, but a way that you could deal with that that would be taking responsibility is you could say, you're absolutely right. I, I often am late. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to be more aware of the time. I'm going to, I'm going to wake up earlier or I'm going to set a couple alarms. I mean, you're trying to say, acknowledge, if you've done it, you've done it. If you're late, you're late. You can't change the fact that that is the fact, okay? It doesn't matter if you go, I mean, look, Ladies, I am in the situation where it's like, look, you don't understand my hair and then I had to get my kids ready and I had a lot of things going on and on top of that, I had to fold your clothes and put them away. I do not have to fold his clothes or put him away. He does really good. But I'm just saying, you can have really good reasons for why you were late, but it still does not take away from the fact that you were late. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to acknowledge and take responsibility for your part in whatever the grievance is. To just be real enough to say, you're right, I am late, I am sorry, I know that that's hard on you, I know that that's something that you really like with your personality and maybe I'm not as into being on time, but I'm gonna try to do better because I know that sets you off, because I love you. Because it's about love, right? And so that's, that's what we have to remember is we have to Instead of getting caught up into the automatic wall situation where it's like step off, we have to remember that in all of this, the, the root, the foundation of what we're trying to work with is love. And when you love somebody and when you love the relationship, you're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to say, I'm going to get past my own desires, my own wishes, my own wants, my own needs, because it's about us. It's not just about me anymore. So that's, that's the second horseman of the apocalypse. So I'm, I'm, I'm moving this right along. Well, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you decided to take a Friday evening out to be here. We're going to talk about contempt. For those of you that may not know what contempt is, and I will be honest that when I was reading through some of this, I could see some of the comments that I make over time and how that can be perceived. So while preparing to hopefully enlighten you with something, I got enlightened with a few different areas. But contemptuousness is to put your spouse or partner down or to speak to them with scorn. Scorn is kind of a strong word that we don't usually toss around, but it's not only just acting in a certain way, but it's actually feeling that you're superior. I'm better, smarter, organized, capable, etc. You know, I will jokingly say at times to my wife who thinks, hey, I can lift up this giant box that, you know, weighs 150 pounds. There's no way that you can do that. You're not capable of lifting up that box or doing that by yourself. And while it may be a true statement, I could probably say, hey, let me help you with that. You know, it will be easier if both of us work together. But those are little things that even comments, you know, they can start to create a state of mind. And that's really when you, where you get to being in contempt is that it is a negative state of mind where you're focusing on shortcomings, failures, inadequacies, mistakes, instead of balancing 
you know, real criticism with love or understanding of a situation. And so how do you reach, you know, a state of mind, you know, some people, and I would say most of us struggle with it at times, is we tend to view the negative or remember the negative of any situation, whether it is a, you know, a great vacation that we went on, you know, you can think about all the things that happened, but there was that one thing that you didn't get to do or you had a bad experience at. I know when we go on vacation to different places, the kids make up in their mind a long list of things that they think that we should do. They don't necessarily communicate what that list is, but if we don't, we can go putt-putting and we can go to a restaurant and let them have pizza and a Sprite and we can go and to a store and let them get a toy but then there are times where we get back and it's, I just wanted to do one more thing. Well, what was that one more thing? Well, I just wanted to go get ice cream. Well, if we would have known that, we would have maybe swung by and got that. But that can ruin the entire day. And those of you that may have little girls may understand the, how devastating, you know, one comment that you make or one thing that you don't get to do, how it can be the worst day ever. As a father, I experience this on a daily basis because I just come up short. But it's about, you can reach that state of mind by who you're entertaining and where you're sitting. In Psalms 1-1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So the people that you're associating yourself with, what you're taking in through whatever media may be going on, what you may hear at work, all those types of things are contributing to a state of mind that you may not even know is starting to build up. And we'll talk about different ways that you can kind of counteract that so that you're cleansed and so that you keep this state of mind from happening. But some of the key identifiers for if, if you are to kind of understand if your communication could breed contempt is if you are sarcastic or cynical. I am guilty of that quite often. Name calling, eye rolling, sneering, mockery, or hostile humor. The mindset and the attitude go, that mindset and that attitude only breed more contempt. So how many, you know, have been in an argument with a spouse or with somebody and, and maybe somebody starts to get an elevated tone of voice, how often does the other individual stay calm and peaceful? It usually doesn't happen. Usually when somebody starts elevating their voice, the other person starts to elevate their voice. And then you're having a discussion at an elevated voice tone and then the next one's got to up it, and now maybe it's yelling. And one's yelling, and then the next one's got to yell, and then it's screaming. and scre It doesn't happen where, you know, when we are in a mindset or we haven't based ourselves that we can talk in that still, small voice and kind of de-escalate the situation. And that's true. Solomon talked about some of this where surely he scorneth the scorners, he's talking about the Lord, 
in Proverbs uh, 3.34, but he gives grace unto the lowly. And where this is really important is when you have two people who are, and this can go even in your work uh, environment. If you have a boss that's scornful, negative, typically, if you respond in the same way, it doesn't bode well. Whereas if you're lowly or humble and take that and be gracious to him, I'm glad when I've looked back over my life that grace and mercy have followed me in all those situations. But then we get into kind of the antidote to contempt. And so if you've ever been here to one of the marriage conferences, you've seen probably the analogy of the stool, the three-legged stool, and there's kind of another where it's built on desires, needs, wants, and those need to be addressed. And at the core of all of this, contempt is that there is a need, a desire, or a want that hasn't been met repeatedly. And over time, that is what breeds contempt. But it's imperative that you play a role actively in keeping yourself, as well as the person, in relationship grounded, and make sure that you address those needs, wants, desires in an appropriate manner. And you look at ways that you can address this. First is reestablishing your relationship with the main source and ensure where you're walking, where you're standing, and where you're sitting in an appropriate space. We could have taken Psalms 1 and 1, and you could flip it, take out the negatives to say, blessed is the man that walks with godly counsel, who stands with the righteous, and sits with the honorable and the humble. Those are the people that you need to surround yourself with. And when you do that, it makes sure that you stay in a positive mindset because you're able to be filled with encouraging words, people who are talking about the scripture, talking about the Lord. They can talk about the blessings and encouragements they've got as well. But then you can also build an atmosphere of appreciation by using I statements. Typically, you want to remove I, I, I. You know, there's no I in team but we all know that there's a me. But it is great to use I statements, whether you're complimenting your spouse or partner in the relationship or when you're criticizing them. It moves the responsibility. So expressing appreciation. So think of something each day to compliment the person that you're in a relationship on and, and use an I. I really appreciate the way your hair smells. Express thanks. Say thank you. I thank you for all that you do for us. Express fondness and admiration. So say something that's a character trait about them that you like each day. And you use that to describe your feelings and not make a value or a judgment statement about the other person. And that's why those I statements, especially when you're given criticism or feedback, are important because it shifts the you do this to I understand, I understood it this way. And if you've had a few fights, which I'm sure many in here have been married a long time, have gone through a few, you can go back and you can look at, oh, when I said these types of statements, things got worse. And so you can also look back and say, maybe when I approach something this way, conversation was completely different. And so just start to create 
that atmosphere uh, of appreciation with your spouse. And that will combat when there are feelings of contempt and hopefully keep you out of that spirit of contempt as well. Let's just clap our hands because there you go. So I am on the last of the four horsemen that can destroy your marriage. The first, of course, was criticism, and the second was defensiveness, and the third was contempt, and now the fourth is stonewalling. Now, since we're in a pandemic, we're going to assume that you've already been going through all of these things, whether you're on site or at home. So this is where the Holy Ghost comes in because if you don't feel like you're being heard and have your needs met before you go into an argument or a discussion, then you're going to revert to your humanity. You're going to either become critical or you're going to become defensive. We do this. This is our humanity. Point to yourself and say, this is me. That's right. And so uh, the only way we feel safe is when we know it, something can be done to fix it. So let's look at what stonewalling actually means. It is to withdraw from interaction while staying physically present. So that means you're in the room, but you are not engaged and you're giving all kinds of nonverbal clues that you don't like what's being said. And here's the problem. The more you feel criticized, the more you withdraw. The more you turn away, the more your partner attacks. What does that do to you physiologically while it's just coming at you? And this is not a male or female thing. This is what happens when people are under stress and your spouse feels whatever he or she's feeling, and we're gonna talk about listening in a minute, but the physiological response of feeling like you're under a Gatlin gun is increased heart rate, stress hormones, cortisol, and adrenaline. And the result is it is nearly impossible to listen, think, or problem solve because right now the emotions are getting so ratcheted up and maybe you're an introvert and words mean a lot to you and so maybe your partner who is really demonstrative he or she is just venting and letting you have it and what do you do before you open your mouth and say something that's irretrievable which really doesn't even address the issue it's just that your foot's getting stomped and you're in pain and you want it to stop. Okay, so what is the anecdote, or the antidote rather, for stonewalling? All right, here it is. It's called positive timeout. That's the first step. I'm telling you now, it works. What you have to do, especially if you're getting flooded emotionally, maybe you have a partner who is really good at building a case against you or against whatever or and they're just drilling home this is why and this is why and this is what and you can't process it and you're starting to shut down so what do you do this is what you do everybody take your finger stick your finger up and say wait a minute i need a timeout say that with me wait a minute I need a timeout. So what you're going to do is literally remove yourself physically 
from the location where your spouse is. You need to go away. You need to go read. You need to listen to some music. Now, why am I telling you to do this? Because if you don't, every word that was thrown at you, you're going to respond to in private. I've just about had it. I don't want to hear this anymore. What gives her the right to say this after everything I've done? See, you can't do that. If you start on the track of, I don't deserve this, I haven't done anything, this is not who I am, I can't believe she said that, I can't believe he said that, that when you come back, guess what you're going to do? Ready, aim, fire. That's not going to solve the problem and it's going to destroy the trust it has taken you so long to build in your relationship. So you have to collect yourself so you don't hurt yourself because that's the other part of you, that man or that woman. The idea is to maintain your relationship, not destroy it by saying things or remaining silent. So when you are away, a positive timeout is about, it takes 20 to 30 minutes, okay? You can't do it in five. You need to take a break. It's a de-escalation. You need to cleanse your mind from negative thoughts don't let him come. That's why you grab a magazine or you grab a book because you don't think, you don't want to think. Because if you do, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to think your pain. Okay? And you don't want to think your pain because people in pain are not logical. And they're going to say and do things they're going to regret. You don't want to do that. You're tempted to do it, but you pull yourself away to get your heart rate down to get the fight or flight down, so you can breathe, you can sit still, you get control of your emotions, okay? And by doing that, then you're ready for the next part. And that's the next slide, which is engage. You have to go back. You can't have a 24-hour timeout. Not if you're going to do what the Bible says, which is, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, Neither give place to the devil. The devil is an accuser. You may feel like you have enough ammunition to turn on your spouse. This is what the prince in the power of the air does. He will build a case against your spouse for you and then use you as a guided missile to come back and attack. And you're not solving the problem but you're gonna hurt the other person. It's like, you cut me, I'm gonna cut you. Let me tell you what I have to say. Well, what's that gonna do to your relationship? Paul said, be careful if you bite and devour one another, there's nobody left at the end of the day. You've torn each other to pieces. That's your marriage. You wouldn't do that to a child. You wouldn't abuse your child that way. You can't abuse your marriage. So, here's how you reconnect after the break. Maximum 30. If you guys agree that you can do a 45-minute, if it's that hot, then that's okay. But it needs to be agreed upon. I want to continue on. Now, when you come back, stay focused on the issue. If you love your marriage and you want it to grow, you cannot bring up 52 things that were done last week. Stay in the present. Stay in the current argument. 
stay in the current discussion. You say, well, we've got a lot of baggage. Well, then at some time agreed upon by both of you, you can address the past. But when you are this hot and fired up in your relationship, you need to stay on the issue. Don't bring up a bunch of other things. Number two, stay positive. You love this woman. You love this man. You're gonna get through this. Did you know that? We're gonna get through this pandemic. We're gonna come out of it. The Lord already said so. This is why we root ourselves in spiritual principles because if you don't, then you're gonna start looking at each other suspiciously and it goes back to what Brother David said about contempt and what Sister Sheena said about being defensive instead of taking responsibility and going, yes, I, I'm sorry, I won't do that again or being critical. All four of these unite to erode a marriage. After you've made your mind up to focus on the issue and stay positive, then you're committed to what caused this, what can we do to resolve it? Isn't that wonderful? So we can defeat these four horsemen of the apocalypse. You have less to be afraid of from the federal government than you do your own anger, hurt, expectation, and need. And what is so wonderful, all of these psychological principles and relationship principles that we're talking about tonight can be found in the word of the Lord. And you may say, I have so much hurt from a previous relationship, or I've been so damaged. This is why we come to worship. And we're gonna take a moment to do that now. We're gonna just worship and give you a break because you need to think about Lord, am I critical? And of course, part of being healed of this is being willing to acknowledge that's me. I did that. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to constantly be tearing down my spouse. And I'm going to ask you this. If you are tearing down your spouse, my guess is you're tearing yourself down. Underneath criticism is a sense of insecurity and fear that you're not gonna measure up. I'll never forget one of the most powerful moments that I had was when I listened to my husband preach a sermon on Jesus broke the yardstick of measurement at Calvary. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try to be perfect, there is not enough good deeds done, good words spoken to merit one drop of that blood.